Today's sponsor is Audible, which has an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more. Get a free audiobook with a 30-day trial at audible.com slash decode. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. And I'm Lauren Good, senior editor of technology at The Verge. And this is Too Embarrassed Ask, a podcast that's all about making technology easier to understand and use. If you have questions about technology that you've been too embarrassed to ask, well, you have found the right podcast. No question is a bad question, so send us yours. Submit your questions in advance by tweeting them to at Recode or to myself or Lauren with a hashtag Too Embarrassed. That's two R's and two S's in embarrassed in case you cannot spell. Thanks, Kara. I'm always so glad that you're here to give us spelling lessons. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to have harder words than embarrassed. You can't spell that. Seriously, <laughs> Lauren. Jeez. And you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes. That's at iTunes.com slash Too Embarrassed to Ask. While you're there, leave us a review. Lauren, is that really you? I didn't even recognize your voice anymore. It's been so long. I've been enjoying my sojourn in Europe and other places here in New York City. It's really me. And I know that you miss me. I know you're making no, no, it you're sound trying like you to get me to say busy. I miss you on Twitter, you which is occupied. very sad and desperate. <laughs> that was really just to um, to drown out the strong sentiments you yes, had. Yes, I can tell. I can me. tell. Yeah, but Walt liked it. Walt liked it. But I'm actually here. You're in San Francisco, correct? I'm in San Francisco, and you are in, in New York City. From, but New- you're really hanging out in Williamsburg a lot these I days. I am, in the Berg. I call it the you're Berg. You're so hip. What I know, are you doing I down there? I'm just hanging out, seeing things. I, I was, I'm walking all over New York today. It's quite warm here. Um, and, you know, I'm just trying to rendezvous with Anne Wojcicki and my boyfriend, Alex Rodriguez. They keep inviting me to a baseball game, and I still haven't heard from them. It's kind of weird. Really? Yeah. What what baseball game are they invited? Are you going to Yankees uh, Well, it was a Mets game. It was a Mets game. And he hasn't shown up to any of them. I showed up there. You know that he used to play for the Yankees, right? Not the Mets. I mean, I know sports ball isn't really your thing, but they're like they're the other sports ball See, team in New York. that's the problem with New York. They have two sports ball teams. There's too many sports ball teams. It's just too confusing. I do understand the Kevin Durant situation that he's going oh, to some other and, team. And what, what is your analysis of that? I would love to hear this. I don't care. That's my analysis of that. They're highly paid Are they trading people. Andrew Bogut? Is that a thing? Is I, that an d- official d- thing? I Rob's nodding. We're not going to talk about sports. I hate sports. Okay. My favorite okay. topic is not sports, but one of my favorite topics is politics and tech and politics in general. This uh, season, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Unlike the current political situation, we're trying to keep it civil here on Too Embarrassed to Ask. Yeah, we are going to try to keep it civil today. Yeah, and this is coming from, by the way, the potentially future mayor of San Francisco. That's exactly sure. right. I've been discussing that with people lately, just so you know. I'll fill you in when I see you. Oh, I want I want to hear all about I've this. Been Remember, I'm going to run your Snapchat account when you're, when you're mayor. If yeah, I'm waiting for your donation, thing, your, your, your maximum donation, but we'll discuss that later. <laughs> um, and for, for this episode... You better start saying that you miss me if you expect me to give you money. No, you see, it's like, tough love. Nice so you're going to give me money anyway. As it's like Trump has proved you can abuse the general public and have the send you money. So that's my tactic in this situation. Um, well, for now, this very special episode of Too Embarrassed to Ask, which yes. is going to be about politics, we've Good. brought in an expert at the intersection of politics and technology. Our guest is Rebecca Harris. She's the co-founder of a political news service called Purple. Purple. Except it's quite possible you maybe haven't heard of Rebecca or the app quote unquote purple before because she and her team actually deliver the news to you in a way that you maybe might not expect. So wait, it's purple is like a mix of blue and red, right? Correct. Is that what That's we're That's exactly it's it. It's not Yahoo Thanks news. Thanks for right? joining us today. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly. It's just like Yahoo. Um it's funny that's exactly where your mind goes to. Uh-huh. Like, have you well, been crawling purple. in the vents there lately, listening to all of their secrets? I need to know. Anyway, Rebecca, welcome. Thank you guys so much. I'm pumped to be here. Good. Can you explain purple, the purple, the situation? Sure. So 
Um, Purple basically started uh, when I was in college as a blog when I was interning on the Hill. Oh, that's a horrible job. I did that too. <laughs> well, it ended up being the best experience ever because oh. it's kind of shaped everything uh, that's happened since. But I can understand why someone would be jaded by it for sure. Um, I was but, my job was to keep a senator from falling asleep during press interviews, so it really oh, gave God. me a new perspective on politics. <laughs> which senators? Which senators? Senator S.I. Hayakawa from California. What a name! Sleep. His name oh, was Sleep and Sam. That was his nickname, Sleep and Sam. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And wow. he did. He hey. slept well. So. And Rebecca, who did you work the country for? Running. Um, so I was interning for Senator Kent Conrad. He was a Democratic senator from North Dakota. North Dakota, really, yeah. Yeah, really, really interesting guy. Very, very smart and very um, policy-focused rather than political. Like, people used to make fun of him because he would get be on the Senate floor almost always accompanied by a series of charts and graphs going through it's a numbers. Wonk. It's a wonk. Exactly. And uh, yeah, it was really it was really incredible. He's also a really interesting um, senator because you know he was reelected multiple times in a very red state. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's really rare for for a Democrat to kind of like have that legacy. Um, right. But you know, I I actually grew up in Texas and I went to University of Connecticut for college. And growing up in Texas, you know, it's a, <laughs> not surprising. No, yeah, pretty yeah. red red spot. So um, what what got you started on the purple thing? What was so you were doing this? So I was, you were wasting your time in Washington, as most people do. <laughs> so I was interning, and you know, having a lot of conversations with like my fellow intern friends about politics. And I'm a huge politics nerd, so it's kind of like Disneyland for me. Um, and I just became very overtly frustrated, really, for the first time, or at least I had been conscious of it for the first time, with how uninformed and misinformed. Um, you know, my generation is, especially about politics. And part of the problem, I sort of saw like two reasons for that. One is that there wasn't really a a news outlet at the time that was producing content geared towards millennials or like young people um, that really broke this stuff down in a way that was easy to digest. Um, So, you know, saying that the Senate is having this big debate on the debt ceiling doesn't help you if you're like, well, what the hell even is the debt ceiling? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And the second issue I think was or that I saw was that there's a lot of bias in different news outlets. And so it's really hard to know if the information you're getting you can sort of trust. So I decided, well, all right, like, why don't I try and fix it? Like, why don't I try and fix this problem? Why couldn't it be me? So I started a blog in Senator Conrad's mailroom (laughs) called uh, Purple Politics which I got to give a shout out to my sister. She's the one that came up with the name. Uh-huh. The idea was I would try and pick a subject each day, uh, a topic related to politics, and just break it down as if I was sitting with a friend over a beer, just ex- trying to explain something, um, but try to do it in as unbiased a way as possible. So that's kind of how it all started. Why do you want to be unbiased? I mean, politics is about being biased, really, in a lot of ways. Right. So I, I agree. I think that when you when you start actually getting to the point where you're taking action on things, like you have to have bias in a certain aspect, otherwise you're not going to be compelled to take action. Mm-hmm. But um, but my goal wasn't necessarily to get people to to become activists for certain things. It was to provide a source that at least gave you a baseline to be actually informed on these issues, so you felt like you could talk about them and form your own opinion on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, for the the key issue for me at that time was the was the Affordable Care Act. It was Obamacare. So um, that that happened to be the summer. It was 2012 that um, the Supreme Court was issuing their first opinion on Obamacare. So there was a lot of conversation about it. And I just remember being so frustrated 
in those conversations because I would hear people saying things that I knew that I disagreed with and that I felt like I knew were incorrect, but I didn't feel informed enough about the issue to like really back up my argument. Um, and that's a perfect example of an issue that is not easy to like learn and understand because it's very complex and there's all these other components of it. So I wanted to, to make something like that, like understanding the Affordable Care Act or um, like a policy like that much easier so that you could mm -hmm. at least know the information and, and as much fact as possible to form your own opinion about it. Now you also run a text messaging service, which is why I said earlier, um, you may be getting these updates, may have signed up at some point, and you actually never see the word purple. I just get a text message from you mm -hmm. or a, a number every day, and it's got a little bit of news information in it. And then there's usually one word that's capitalized that's kind of a trigger word, a keyword. And if I punch that word in back to you, then you send me the next news update. Like right now I have one on my phone that says, hope you had a good weekend. So the FBI finally completed their investigation into Hillary Clinton's use of a private email server and concluded that she did not break the law. And break is the keyword there. So if I write break back to you, you keep going, you keep going. And so you have this kind of ongoing dialogue with your audience. Yep. When did you start that and why did you decide to go with SMS for this? Yeah, so that started really in November of 2015. So, you know, fast forward like a few years from the blog Purple Politics, my co-founder David and I were working on this idea of, same idea, of making it easier for people to be informed. And we came back to when both of us were in college, basically. And, and both of us are super nerdy about politics. And we realized that like our friends would just come to us and be like, yo, Rebecca, like, what the hell is going on in Syria? Can you just break this down for me? I don't have time to read about this crap. And I would be like, mm -hmm. oh my God, hell yes, someone wants to talk about Syria? Like, sit down. You know, no one ever wants and to talk is, to me about this. This is this via stuff. text message. This is happening. Or no, this no, is so in this, person. I mean, this, well, this anecdote is, is in real life. And so we were thinking back to these and we, we had this sort of like eureka moment where we were like, wait, like, it's really the conversational aspect of, of digesting information and being able to, to learn about something through a conversation that is so powerful. And so then we were like, well, how do we use technology to allow the, the Rebecca's, like the nerds of the world, basically, to have these kind of conversations with people in a scalable way? And that's when we thought about text messaging. And both of mm -hmm. us had been really interested in a service I'm sure you guys have heard of called Magic which we had both signed up for at the time. Magic is basically like SMS-based, and you can ask them literally to do anything. You can be like, hey, I want to see a movie tonight. Can you find me music, uh, movie tickets, mm -hmm. whatever you want? And so we figured it would be a really easy way to test it. So actually, at first, we didn't even build anything. I just set up a Google Voice number on my phone, and I got 50 people from, from a newsletter that I was running. Um, and I and there so, was a, so better than the newsletter, that you had more engagement is what you're saying. Absolutely. It's the first, the first experiment was basically covering a Republican debate via text message. So I sent a message to these 50 people from my number and was like, yo, the Republican debate's tonight. Message live if you want highlights and fact checks in real time sent to your phone. Mm -hmm. and and you, you don't think just, that's twitchy? It's, you know, it's sort of a twitchy, twittery way to, to approach serious issues? No, absolutely. I mean, there's this there's, is old lady talking, by the way. <laughs> no, I mean that's not that's that's definitely like a an interesting comparison. But like what we were thinking is, you know, this is much closer to what regular human behavior is mm -hmm. with mobile devices every day. It was like the number one thing I do on my phone is I text my friends and my family. And so because it was like me, because it was it said, hey, this is Rebecca from Purple. 
um, there's this human personal aspect where you feel like you are texting a friend. Um, and so there was this huge amount of engagement because it's not passive. It's like you're actively engaged in this conversation. People could ask questions. They could, you know, send links to things. Um, and it grew from 50 to 100 people, like, within a week. So that's when we were like, okay, we're on to something. And, you know, over the last how many, uh, six How many people are, are using it? I mean, in this election, it's really interesting because it's really a very twitchy election. I mean, you have one presidential candidate that's literally – campaigning by Twitter using exclamation points at this point. Right. Is, yeah. Yeah. And an actually, issue. just like a side note, we have this uh, this sort of hidden feature on purple that we, we did a while back as like a fun experiment. But you can text Trump me to purple as many times as you want to get like a different Trump Twitter quote. Good God. Um, <laughs> it's endless. It's you, what endless, do you type uh, in? You type material. in Trump meme? Trump me. Trump, Trump me. Nobody um, wants to be yeah, trumped. Okay. Nobody wants yeah, to be trumped. I'm so trying like, it right now during this podcast. <laughs> right, don't, get trump. Trump. don't get trumped, Lauren. <laughs> Cru- it's hard uh, to get rid of, and oh, antibiotics won't get rid of it, just so you know. Cruz says like I supported clap. TARP, which gave $25 million to Goldman Sachs, the bank which loaned him the money he didn't disclose. Puppet! Exclamation point. Puppet! Exclamation point. <laughs> That's from the archives. Point. That one's from the archives of, of yep. what, three months ago. Um, but no, I mean, yep. how, so how many people are using Purple now? So now we have uh, we have a few thousands. We have over four thousand users, um, but we also are sort of getting the platform ready for sort of like version two of Purple. So um, we saw a lot of natural user behavior emerge on Purple that was really interesting and like very different than what we expected. So, for example, a lot of what we started out with were. Um, Learn what you just described as like the these sort of interactive stories with these keywords. Um, so how what I would do every day is like think about whatever most important topic related to the election I wanted to talk about or convey to people, and essentially write it out in a series of messages, just like how I would text it to a friend, and then like link those with keywords so that you can kind of dig down as the user, dig as deep as you want to learn about something. But then we saw people more and more start sending in recommended reads or asking questions or, you know, sending in their thoughts and opinions on things. And so what we started doing is sort of facilitating these like live conversations on Purple on the platform around these issues that people clearly wanted to talk about. And that was very, that was, that was really interesting. And we saw really, really high engagement um, when we did things like that. So we're, we're sort of emerging into this next phase of the platform that's a little bit more focused on sort of like these high quality conversations around around this these topics that people are curious about want to want to discuss. So you've said the word conversation and that's what I think of when I think of the text messages that I've been getting from the service. Um, Mm -hmm. Quartz now also has a mobile app that treats its new, you know, its push notifications for news very much like a message conversation. You look at the interface, it feels like it's just one long, you know, DM or IM. Um, and it's the sort of thing where you tap on it, you get more information. You can go deep and narrow on a topic, or you can just get sort of these surface level news updates. I mean, this makes me think it's maybe it's not quite a trend yet, but it makes me think, well, what's wrong with standard, you know, political news applications that people say, well, we've we've got to go into this sort of messaging mode. We have to make everything feel like like messaging now. I mean, do you think um, are people tired of standard news apps that just sort of display the content in a mobile friendly format, similar to the way it's on a website? 
That's a really important question. Um, I think there's a couple things there. One, I think, is that sort of app overload in general is an issue where, like, if I'm sure you guys, like, notice this all the time. Like, there's probably five apps on my phone that I use every single day. I download apps all the time that I use once and then I kind of forget about or, you know, I never use again. I mean, it's really, really difficult to get someone to not only discover an app, but to habitually use it, like make it a part of their everyday life. Um, and so I think you get to a problem where every single news outlet has their own app, then all of this information is, um, is atomized and all these and fragmented in all these different places. And I don't necessarily want to have to open up an, all these different apps every time I want to consume content. So then I think that's why, like, for most people, um, Facebook and Twitter are sort of like their, that's sort of the new homepage. Like that's where people get their content from. Um, but then there's this other issue there where there's still this sort of signal to noise problem. Like there's so much content on, on these social media um, platforms. So I think the, the reason that conversational content or that like messaging is good is that it allows you to sort of consolidate all of that stuff into one place where you already live. That's where you already live your life on mobile anyway, or a lot of people. So you're not having to go to all these different applications or all these different places to, uh, to consume content. But then I think there also is a simultaneous problem where, and I think this happens every time there's like a new sort of this, a new like hot platform. Yeah, um, peach, peach. Yeah, it's right. That was, right. That was for like one Friday in last summer. It was, right. oh. Quite literally. <laughs> Quite literally. Totally. Right. Oh, and I tried so hard to like like peach and to use it. I just no, like. No, you don't have to. Point. You don't have to. <laughs> but, um, but I think that a lot of what happens is like when a platform gets really overhyped, um, especially in the media industry, people think, okay, like I have to get on, on board this train or I'll be left behind. Or like, you know, I want to be an early adopter of this without necessarily thinking about the purpose of the platform. So like, mm -hmm. I, use the, I use the internet as an example a lot. So like when the internet was first created, like the New York Times first website, it was literally just a PDF of the, the, of the front page, right? Because they viewed it as like, okay, this is a new distribution platform. Now fast forward however many years later, actually understanding the platform and the purpose of it, things are very different on NewYorkTimes.com. So I look at like a parallel where every time there's a new platform emerges, it takes people a while to sort of figure out like how is, what is the purpose of this platform? How do people right. naturally use this so that I can use it in a way that like makes the most sense? And make content ma yeah. make sense. I think about that a lot with right. video, which is a whole other topic. You know, video web video used to be, let's take the stuff that was on TV and cut it up and repackage right. it and throw right. it on the internet. And so, now it's actually, how can we create stuff that's meant So I want to get to um, listener, listener questions. Yeah. Um, but I'm just curious, has this election been good? Just very briefly, if you thought this election's probably been really great for you because people are super engaged in, in, oh, yeah. in, in the traffic I mean, accident that's become... <laughs> From an American citizen standpoint, the election is a little frightening, but from a business perspective, it's freaking great. <laughs> Talk, spoken like a true network executive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you said before, you know, beforehand um, in 2012, for example, you were you were sending up to, you know, updates and writing posts about Obamacare. And there's always been plenty of fodder, you know, political content for you to write about. But you, I mean, could you ever have predicted that this election cycle would be so just nuts as it is? Oh my God, no. But I, I do have to say, like, 
I, so while I am like a huge politics nerd and I love political history, uh, I, I really didn't get, weirdly get that into politics until I was in college. Um, and I'm 20, I'm 25. So the, the last, uh, the last couple elections that I really paid attention to, I feel like were pretty straightforward. I mean, Obama 2008 was obviously like a, a, an incredible historic election to live through and like be focused on. Absolutely. But I don't think I, there's anything, even in studying political history, that could have, like, how I could have, that would have helped me predict, basically, how this has turned out. Even, yeah. even at the beginning, you know, my, my predictions and a lot of, a lot of other um, people's predictions, a lot of the political journalists that I respect the most. Yeah, don't no talk one, to, don't talk no to one. political journalists. They <laughs> <laughs> don't know what they're Everyone talking about. Everyone underestimated it. Yeah. I mean, no, they didn't underestimate it. They made fun of it. And they didn't well, yeah. do the reporting. Um, it was there was, it was. I was with a group of for, uh, very top uh, political journalists at a party last summer, a summer mm-hmm. party, kind of outside. And, they, and I kept saying, "Well, this Trump thing is really interesting." And they're like, "No, Kara, you don't know what you're talking about." I'm like, "Well, I, I don't know. I'm just hearing a lot of stuff." And and I'm like, "I'm no expert, but maybe you should." And they're like, "No, it's going to be Jeb Bush." And I was like, "Well, he's kind of bored." Like it was fascinating how they just in this group think dismissive of. Of things. It's going to be a big surprise the whole time, which is good for you, as you said, um, (laughs) and bad for the United States. Anyway, we're going to uh, hear from a sponsor, and then we're going to get to questions that you're going to help answer from our audience. Today's show is brought to you by SoFi. SoFi is a new kind of finance company. They're helping people get out of student debt faster while saving them a lot of money. Refinancing student loans with SoFi saves members on average and $19,000. SoFi even partners with companies to help free their employees of debt. See how SoFi can help you at SOFI.com. Terms and conditions apply at SoFi.com slash legal. Now, every week, we ask our readers and listeners to send in their questions, comments, and complaints about tech topics, and you can do that by tweeting with us at hashtag too embarrassed. This week, we asked our listeners for their questions about politics and tech. Lauren, you want to read the first question? Sure. Okay. The first, some people wrote in, were pretty charged up. Mm-hmm. Uh, this first one is from at Brenner Spear on Twitter, and he asks, why does ignorance of the law work as an excuse for Clintons, but not for oh everyone my God. else? We're going to debate these. Yeah. Rebecca, would you like to take a stab at answering Brenner's question? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this was actually the, the well, topic Well, why don't we first like, tell for people who maybe haven't been following, just briefly explain what he may be referring News to. Newsflash, people hate Hillary Clinton. All right. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> For yeah, decades like now. Sort of the gist of, of the issue that Brenner's talking about is um, while Hillary was Secretary of State, she had a private email server that she set up that she was, you know, also using um, for official uh, Secretary of State business. And, you know, after the FBI's investigation of that, there was found, it was found that some of those emails contained classified information. And so there's a statute in the law that says, and this is actually really important, and I think, um, I don't think a lot of people, like, have dug into this, but the statute actually says that there has to be an intent or like it has to be purposeful that you're trying to disclose classified information. And that is what the actual statute says. And so after the FBI investigated the server and all the emails that were passed through, they recommended to the Justice Department essentially like, yo, you shouldn't cross, you shouldn't you know, bring charges against Hillary because there's no evidence that there was an intention or that she was purposefully trying to disclose um, classified information. Now, I think that brings up a separate question that we can talk about whether that's like a really good 
mechanism for keeping classified information safe, but that's why they determined that uh, she did not break the law. Hmm. Okay. And would you like to respond to this political invective? Yeah, I mean, uh, no, I, it's hard It's hard to respond. Just, uh, well, let me think. So I, I think in order to answer the question directly, I would have to agree that the Clintons ignore the law right. um, ubiquitously, which I don't necessarily, which I don't agree with. Um, I don't think there's a lot of just... No, we'll, we'll pull you out of this way. This we'll pull you out of this mud pit. Please don't throw it. It's this is the kind of crap that Thanks, goes guys. on on Twitter where nobody can actually have a discussion. They actually just like to scream at each other and print. Anyway. Uh, the next question is from at Vincent Rubino. Um, thanks for sending in a question again, Vincent. You've written in before. Why is the government so terrible at adopting new tech? And wasn't HRC's private email server more secure than the State Department? Well, leave off the um, last part because none of us are experts. She should have been yes, using uh, the State but Department. Yes, but there is uh, yeah, something to be said for why, you know, why is the government maybe a little bit slower than people think it might be at adopting certain standards of new technology? What's your assessment of that, Rebecca? That's a really, really good question. It's something that I've personally been like focused on and frustrated with for a while. Although there's like, a, a lot of really, really good people working in tech and government sort of trying to change this this assumption and what happens. But I think part of it is that one of the things I think is that the average age of of Congress is 61, and so just looking at that, you know, there's not a lot of people that are in office who are super tech savvy and who have grown up sort of in the um, in this internet age. I do think that is like one, I don't think that's necessarily the main problem, but I think that's one of them. And uh, another thing I think is that, you know, bureaucracy in general tends to, to run a little bit slower in adopting new technology and new ways of doing things. However, I do, I will say that in, at least within the, the White House, I know Obama has had a really big focus on sort of updating and integrating a lot more innovative tech solutions that um, the executive branch at least uh, uses. And there's been a big focus on that. So I do think it's getting better for sure. But I think there's so much more we can do uh, in using the technology that we all have like at our fingertips to improve government and also like in- enhance democracy in a, in a really impactful way. There's a lot of awesome people who are working on who, uh, on really innovative solutions uh, to that, which I like would love to see more of. What do you guys and think? Also the, uh, I think that they just, uh, I, I, it's really perplexing. The government invented the internet and they don't use it very well. Um, you know, I think the Obamacare really debacle. You know, I was on one of the Beltway shows and I said, you know, Tinder works every day and the Obamacare website couldn't at the time. And so we're like, are you comparing it to a dating site? I go, no, the dating site works. You know, it was like, it was fascinating. <laughs> You know, right. I think that's unacceptable that the government doesn't allow much more, doesn't do much more innovative stuff around everything. And they're trying, obviously. And it's a big, yeah. I think them saying it's a big, hard problem is not really, uh, you know, so is Facebook, so is Google. Right. They're all big, hard problems. And you, certainly. I also look at the technology. You can, technology is such a broad term that you can look at it in a lot of different ways. I think some of the consumer facing tech that we're referring to, the Obamacare, um, you know, the ACA websites, one of the best examples probably of that. But then there's also, I mean, there's surveillance technology and some of which we may not n- know everything about. You could even look to investment in space technology. I mean, there's so many different levels to look at, like how yeah. is the government investing in technology now that I think um, it's hard to just say some, sort of summarily it, they're behind. Yeah, prob- um, probably but it is a concern. They've been creatures of the, the way the suppliers for years, just the way mm-hmm. corporations have been creatures of like the big 
the big box, the, the people that bring it, you know, that do all the consolidations, the old Oracles and IBMs and, and companies have changed and, and become more consumer focused in the workplace. But, you know, it's a really important thing. It's, it's, it's such a waste of money. At this point. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's also this side issue where I think that a lot of startups and a lot of like tech companies in the private sector um, end up attracting more talent than necessarily government yeah, does. Yeah, why would you want to um, work for government? Well, and so I think the I think the solution to that, which is a really, really tough thing to solve, but is making people feel like working in government, like you can actually get shit done. You know, yeah. you can actually like, yep. and I think you can. I just think that um, there's a lot more we can do to make that a reality, and I think that in turn will, you know, attract better better talent and sort of solve the problem in that way as well. Okay, this one is from at, it appears to be Chris Hoogland on Twitter. Um, Obama's use of tech, BlackBerry, etc., has been pretty positive. Both Hillary and the Donald have not. Does this matter? Well, this is sort of a nice segue, I guess, from what we were just talking about previously. Um, it does seem that in a lot of ways, the Obama administration has been a little bit more forward thinking in terms of its adoption of technology. And dude even wears a Fitbit, but that's a whole other story. Uh, Rebecca, what are your thoughts on this? <laughs> Well, I think that Obama has done a really, really uh, good job of like not just adopting technology, but also focusing on it um, within his own administration and really like trying to put forward an effort to to make his staff and and every and everything within the within the White House a little bit more tech focused. From what I've read, in terms of though, like his use of technology in connecting with the American public, which I think is really interesting. Um, because he's, you know, he's been, he's used Twitter, he's he's used Medium, I think, in a really interesting way. Um, I think that's been awesome, and I want to see more and more of that from public officials, because, like, we do have these platforms now where where we can be connected and, and hear from them directly, and I think it's also a way for uh, us to hold of public officials accountable in a way for, yeah, for a, a way lot to, of things. To be on, yeah, I think, I, I'll be honest though, I mean, uh, Trump mm-hmm. is an excellent Twitter candidate. He's the first Twitter candidate, real Twitter right. candidate versus mm-hmm. anybody else. And whether you like him or not, it, he's really good at it. He's really quite good at social media, at least in Twitter. And I'm sure Jack Dorsey cries every night for that issue. But. <laughs> but but I think the question, the ultimate question is, does this matter? So this person says both Hillary and the Donald have not really adopted technology. That's We're going to say that's not necessarily true. It depends on what type of technology you're talking about if you just were to sort of distill this into the two remaining candidates and how they are both utilizing technology does it Mm -hmm. does it matter at this point and I think it does I mean I think it really does I absolutely think it matters not just from what we just talked about from a like enhancing democracy standpoint but I think in terms of campaigning it's a huge huge asset because I think you know throughout the, the last 25 years or so the main mo- the main way that you campaign is you raise a ton of money and then you spend it mostly on television advertising but millennials who will represent 40% of the american electorate in just 4 years by 2020 um, they don't consume content that way you know it's 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 all digital media and social media focused and so i think that's a that's good news for campaigns if you can if you can run a really well done social media and digital media focused campaign where things are really shareable um, and they kind of spread, it's a really, really effective way to run a campaign because things can go viral and things can be shared far and wide and it's much cheaper. So I think it's really important. 
All right, last question, and then we'll get to the last part. Uh, there's no answer for this from Shira Ovid. Uh, can I mute all political news between now and November? Noise canceling <laughs> politics. That would be great. No, you uh, cannot. I don't blame her. I don't blame her. It can definitely get a little uh, much to handle at, no, at some time. You can't. You may not. You must be subjected <laughs> to this horror show that is our country. This. I this. actually, I have a question for you, Rebecca. What? Mm-hmm. Um, what are your own personal guidelines for posting about politics on platforms like Facebook? Do you do you have sort of guidelines that you adhere to where you think, oh, I really don't want to say that, or, you know, I'm an unbiased journalist, and so I should probably write this, because you mean I to say, in my own Facebook feed, things are getting pretty out okay. of control. And I talk to a lot of people that say, oh, you know, I had to, like, block Uncle Jerry the other day because he was just getting <laughs> so nuts on Facebook. Or some people will say, well, yeah, but, you know, you should be able to write whatever you want on Facebook. It's a free country, and we have freedom of speech, and, and all that. And, and uh, you know, and so I'm kind of curious to hear what your thoughts are on on Facebook posting about social media at this stage in the campaign. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I'm pretty... Uh, I, I don't really hold myself back much um, with posting on Facebook in terms of sharing like my opinion about things. But I just happen to be like a, a politically and ideologically a very moderate person. So it's not very often just by chance that I post something that really pisses off and offends a lot of people. But there are, and I think this is true of everyone, everyone has particular issues that's different for each person that they care the most about or, or they feel the most passionate about. So if it's one of those issues, like there's pretty much one issue that to me, regardless of anything else, is black and white to me. And it's that anything that in, even hints at infringing upon someone's rights, rights based on their race, religion, sexual orientation, orientation, ethnicity, whatever, is such a is such a no, it's such an oh no to me that that is the one issue that I'm very passionate about. For for everyone, that issue varies. Yeah. But so if it's an issue like that, that's the one, that's those that's really the time when I will will post something and really not hold back my opinion about it because I don't look at that as as politics even or like as ideology that just to me is more like not common sense but I feel like it's it's just a, it's a separate thing um, that everyone regardless of their political party or whether they're conservative or, or liberal that's that should unite all of us so that's kind of how I like how I approach it well because it's a really dangerous thing um, in any kind of democratic society to think mm-hmm. that people will only be seeing information that only aligns with their pre-existing ideologies but if as if more and more people start to mute people in their feeds that they well i don't really like what they said so i'm going to just unfollow or mute or block or whatever it might be then that is essentially what our feeds are going to turn into they're going to turn into the other night someone uh in my feed i have to admit they they wrote something on the fourth of july that was kind of thoughtful about fireworks and how they disturb the neighbors and the babies and the pets and everything else and i thought oh Okay, I kind of agree with this person on this this you know particular topic, and then the very next morning, the same person in my Facebook feed went on this crazy uninformed rant about the Hillary Clinton, uh, you know, FBI email server fracas, and uh, and I thought this is a completely unbalanced view from what this person had just written and I'm tempted to unfollow them and oh uh, go ahead Lauren unfollow well it was just it was so uninformed it was so it was so wrong unfollow unfollow yeah yeah but but then I mean really that's if you keep doing that then that is what your social feeds and your news feeds will become it'll just become things that are tailored to whatever you you already think anyway supporting what you you already think widely enough to understand 
well, other I, opinions. So anyway, unfortunately, yeah. we have to get to the next part. But I mean, it's an interesting issue of where we go from here in politics and how well, we Kira, get do you do you block people in your feed all the that time you... constantly? Really? Facebook, say, Twitter, everything. I say, fuck you. Goodbye. Yes, and I, in fact, tell them I'm doing it. I let them know. What makes you do, like, what's your, your breaking point? I don't know. It's re- usually not civil discussion. And they start to get, bit, like, an asshole. You know, and they start to say asshole things rather than, a, I don't mind d- disagreeing with people when they get, like, rude or personal. And, I'm, uh, and then they're like, you can't block me. I'm like, oh, wrong, you would be. I certainly can't. <laughs> and then they go on a rant. I always see it. They say, oh, Kara Swisher's blocked me. I'm like, oh, well. That's when I spend your time. You're like, worrying it's a about. badge of honor, okay? Okay, go away. Like, I don't know. I don't know. You've been blocked by one Mark Andreessen, right? <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I still don't know why he blocked me, but we're over it now, apparently. We're, okay, because, good. Yeah, okay. Now I can follow him again. All right, okay. <laughs> All right, Re- Rebecca, you've been a great guest, but we're going to play a game that we do on this show. Lauren, why don't you explain it? Sure. It's called Too Embarrassed to Answer, and I'm going to ask you three questions before we let you go here. And the questions are about recent tech news, and you're all about news, so for you this should be relatively easy. And then at the end you get a prize. Although we say that all the time, and then to be honest, we still haven't quite determined what the prize will be. Maybe the next time you're out in San Francisco, we'll take you to lunch. Um, Probably not. But I think you have to get the majority right. So here's the first question. Number one, we learned this week that a company that recently suffered a major hack is now being investigated by the Federal Trade Commission. According to an article in The Verge, this investigation may be targeted at the company's use of fake customers called FenBots. Rebecca, what company is the FTC looking at? Is it A, Home Depot, B, Target, or C, Ashley Madison? I'm going to go with Target. Wow, imagine if Target had FemBots. Mm-hmm. That would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you like go to buy, I don't know, a water pitcher on their site, and they're, like a FemBot pops up, and she's like, are you sure you wouldn't like ice cube trays? Yes, oh, it's the gross uh, website. Gro- gross dating site, Ashley <laughs> Madison. Answer. Actually, yeah, see, Ashley <laughs> No, Madison. you may not. <laughs> um, no, but I love that. I love that you like you thought Target would have FemBots. That's so mm-hmm. great. Maybe Target should do that. And they also, you know what, they were, um, they were hacked pretty badly. I don't even like so. the word FemBots. The next one comes from a recent Recode article. According to a new report released by Google, which of the following gestures can its self-driving cars now understand? The thank you wave, cyclist hand signals, the middle finger. Um, I'm going to go with cyclist hand circles, although I wish it was the middle finger. (laughs) Yes, yes. yes, You are correct. correct. That is correct. But they they do recognize the middle finger. (laughs) Do you know that for a fact? Yeah, I know for a fact. Kara knows because she's given the middle finger. Test it. Google <laughs> self-driving car. Nice. And it logs it as Kara Swisher gave the finger. Okay, and the last question, as covered recently in The Verge, a security developer named Matthew Garrett, who is known for writing reviews of Internet of Things gadgets, recently wrote a scathing Amazon review of one particular gadget, calling it stupendously insecure, saying it would put buyers at risk. In fact, afterwards, the product was removed from Amazon. What was the smart home gadget that Garrett wrote about? Was it A, a smart refrigerator that connected to Twitter and put Twitter accounts at risk? B, a Tide-branded Amazon Dash button that, when pressed, ordered people a bunch of condoms rather than Tide laundry detergent? Or C, a Chinese-manufactured smart light switch that lets you remotely control your home light sockets but exposes your MAC address? Ooh, I'm going to go with the third one. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. Yes. Can we do a sound effect there instead of my voice? (laughs) You are correct. You are correct. You got two out of three, and we owe you lunch. Mm, We do? Well, I said that was going to be a prize. Yeah, Kara, you committed to it. (laughs) I'm teasing. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, she committed to it. She's committed. She should be committed. That's another issue. Carrie's um, in New York right now. She should take you for lunch in New York. There. Yeah. yeah. yeah no, I'm, I'm out of here tomorrow. I'm out of here tomorrow. Um, She'll sorry. take you to some cool place in Williamsburg where yeah. she's been hanging sure, out. Sure, Carrie. Yes. I just have I, to leave New York like, just I, to get away from having lunch with me. It's okay. Right. It's fine. No, not at all. I love New York, but I do like Williamsburg, shockingly. It's full oh, of, yeah. by the it's way, the, the people there are very liberal, it seems to me. There's a lot of Bernie Sanders people accurate. still hoping and dreaming there. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of, there's still a lot of man buns, which is fascinating to me. I would you think they'd be shamed out of man buns, but they haven't been. I like that they stick with their When you're mayor, hairstyle. you should just ban man buns. You know, my son wore a man bun the other day. I was so upset. It was so horrible. <laughs> anyway. He thought he looked good. I, was, I tried to disabuse him of that notion. Anyway, this has been another great episode of Too Embarrassed to Ask. Yes, it has been. And yes. if you all enjoyed the episode as much as we did, be sure to subscribe to the show. And you can leave us that review at iTunes.com slash Too Embarrassed to Ask. And subscribing is great. You'll be the first to listen to new episodes every Friday or catch up on previous episodes where we answer all of the tech questions that our listeners have been too embarrassed to ask. That's iTunes.com slash Too Embarrassed to Ask. You can also subscribe on Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, and you can listen to every episode at Recode.net slash podcasts. And while you're there, you should check out our other podcasts like Recode Decode, Recode Replay, and Recode Media with Peter Kafka. And since we're doing an entire podcast about our podcasts, The Verge also has some great podcasts for your listening pleasure. This is We have so many now. This is how long it takes. Walt and Neilai have Control Walt Elite, which is fantastic. Neilai also usually hosts The Verge cast. Chris Plant has a fun one called What's Tech? And Liz Lapato and Emily Yoshida host Verge ESP. Don't forget to tweet your questions ahead of time to at Recode with the hashtag Too Embarrassed. Thanks for listening and thank you again for our sponsors Audible and SoFi and thank you Rebecca of Purple. Thanks also to Digital Media which distributes the show. We'll be back next week to answer more of the questions that you have been too embarrassed to ask. Tune in then.